The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Here are just a few things that you might uh, look to gain from the session today. Uh, number one, we'll describe biblical success. We're going to take a look at what success really looks like, how we typically define success, but how we might define success in a, in a, a different way than the way we would normally think. We're going to talk about how to build a bridge to the unreached, much like we just heard uh, downstairs uh, with an excellent speaker. Lead your people to see with fresh eyes, talking about how people see, how they look. We're talking about how to radically multiply the missionary, how to radically multiply the number of missionaries in your church and coming out from your church. How to identify partners for the mission uh, in your church and, and surrounding community. And how to increase attendance and receipts. I have data for you. Uh, churches that are involved in sending, they tend to grow faster and have a higher budgets and far greater mission dollars uh, coming into the church and going out to missions locally and around the world. So, first thing we're going to talk about, let's talk about scorecard. We need to talk about how do we change our scorecards. What do Baptists tend to count most of the time? Usually, it's uh, buildings, uh, it's budgets, and it's bodies, right? That's the way my lifetime that we have counted a church and the way we've identified what is the meaning of success. The Bible says, as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. So the party for Jesus was sending out. I was looking yesterday, uh, uh, the Great Commission, and I was looking for different ways people translated the beginning of the Great Commission. And that whole idea of go, it was go, gone, or going in every translation. Nobody had anything different, but it's all about going. Yet we tend to count in our Baptist circles coming. And there's a place for come and see. The Bible talks about come and see. But as we've just heard downstairs, there's also another side of that coin, and that has to do with going, with moving forward. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that today and talking about what if we change the way we count? What if we change the way we evaluate what we do and how we do it? We're going to talk about that. I would ask you to think about what do you celebrate in your church? When you get together on Sunday morning, if we went around the room today and I began to ask you, what did you all celebrate this past Sunday? Think about that. How much of it had to do with reaching out? How much of it had to do things that you celebrated this past Sunday with what happened during the week? That's what we're talking about with a new scorecard. It's not your coming capacity. It's your sending capacity as you send people out, missionaries out into the world. So uh, a key today to think through, what are you celebrating in your church when you gather together on Sundays or Sunday nights or Wednesday night? What do you spend time on? You know, we've said for a long time, if you want to know what's important to your church, what they really value, look at their budget and look at their calendar. If you want to know what's really important to a church, look at the church budget and look at the, cal the calendar, and we can tell you what's really important to the church rather than what people say might be important to the church. So what gets celebrated gets replicated. Whatever you celebrate gets replicated. Now, if you're celebrating how many we had this week, and we, we celebrate maybe uh, who got well that was in the hospital, what celebrate gets replicated. It draws attention. It draws energy. We're talking about and what we're what we're focusing on today 
has to do with celebrating every single week what's happening outside the church. If you look at Jesus, all the miracles, all the things he, he did, were they inside church facilities? No, they were out and about, were they not? They were all over. So we're talking about getting outside of our, of our holy huddle, shall we say, and getting out into the mission field just like Jesus. We are little Christ. We are Christians. Changing the scorecard will change the culture in your church. Changing what you celebrate, changing the scorecard will change the culture of your church. On the board over here, a little hard to see. Some of you can see it. Uh, experiences. If we change what people experience uh, in, their, in their Christian life, it's going to impact their beliefs. So as they hear different experiences shared on Sunday mornings, Sunday night, Wednesday night, as they hear testimonies or perhaps hear you interview people, talk about how God used them during the week to touch this hurting person or that hurting person, as those experiences are shared, that begins to create a culture in your church that is an impacting culture to your community. Shifting from come and see to go and tell. Count. This is how we count differently. Shifting from how many come on Sunday, how many people are going out this week, how many people were involved in, in reaching hurting people, as we just heard about in the sanctuary a moment ago. Getting into those communities, reaching into those people's hearts and lives who are hurting. People are hurting. And so I'm sorry to say there seems to be a wall between the church where there seems to be, in many cases, a lot of empty seats and the, and the community and the pain and the things that we see going on in the community, where, which is full of brokenness. What happens, as we talked about a moment ago, about sending churches? What's the impact when your church changes the culture and begins to become a sending church, gathering groups outside of your church? Attendance increases by 22% over five years. Churches that become a sending church, attendance increases by 22% over five years. Giving increases by 48% in those churches. Admission giving increases by 77%. Now, why is that true? Because we're talking about changing the culture. We're talking about changing the culture. We're talk, talking about changing the, the tide, if you will. We're talking about celebrating sending out. And people want to be a part of what's going on as we become a sending out group, a sending out culture. Uh, Corey, tell us some uh, illustration and application with uh, these perspectives and, uh, regarding how do we change our scorecard? How have you found the scorecard to work in your context as a church planner, as a sending church? Uh, help us to apply this information. The thing I want to piggyback right here is sending churches. Like you look at that 22%, 48%, 77%. In my spirit, I want to say prove it, right? I want to see it in action. Anybody? Is that it? Am I the only one? And here's what, I, here's what I've realized over many, many years of sending other planters out is that there's a difference between this kind of posture before God and this kind of posture before God. When I have an open-handed posture with the resources that God has freely given me and I'm willing to give them away and I have that open-handedness, then what God does is he's given us, me a spirit, our church a spirit, a culture, of, a culture in our church that he can pour back into. So this is why you do see attendance giving and mission giving all increase. And so the best thing I can say to that is you have to experience it yourself. 
you got to taste and see that the Lord is, in fact, good. Some notes that I took, Mark, um, as far as how to apply this is, uh, how many pastors do I have in here? Okay, so not everybody. How many small group leaders or Sunday school teachers do I have in here? Okay. How many just regular attenders do I have in here? Okay. How do you apply this idea of changing the scorecard on your level? If you're a pastor, how do you begin sharing stories of people that are going out and seeing fruit in their workplaces, in the ministries that they run? How do you celebrate that? So when you do celebrate that, you see a fire get caught. Same thing with Sunday school teachers. Who are my Sunday school teachers in here? How do you guys begin to share a story? Can you find a story? Can you mine a story of somebody going out, witnessing, sharing, blessing, whatever that is, and begin to uh, allow that person to share how that impacted their life? Because I think people are wanting to go out, but they need that social proof. They need to know that if I go out, hey, it will in fact work, or I'm not alone. So how do you share the power of one story? Can you find one story in your church, in your small group, in your workplace of how God is moving? And how do you use that? How do you leverage that to get other people activated? And the last thing I will say is you talked about changing the scorecard. What if you change the scorecard to how many people you prayed over this week? That's a really easy thing to do. How many people have you prayed over? How many people has your church prayed over? How many people has your small group prayed over? Those are some things I would add. That's really good. Uh, That happened to me yesterday, Corey. I was in the bank opening up a a money market account, and uh, I went and sat down with a lady in the bank, and she just began to pour out her heart because she's gone through a divorce. She has three children, is estranged from her uh, one of her children, uh, and just has been through the fire, full of brokenness. But that's a case where we all need to pray for Jennifer. If you would pray for her, pray for Jennifer. She's broken. She's hurting. But that's just one example of a way that I went in to open an account. God had another agenda with my going in to open that account. We'll talk more about how he arranges. Mark does this as a lifestyle. How many times have you seen somebody say, thank you so much. I've never, ever had somebody pray over me before. Is it more than once? Oh, yeah, many times, many times. Uh, Corey's, when we go out to, for meetings and that kind of thing and we'll go into a restaurant, uh, many times I'll ask the waiter or waitress, we're going to have a blessing on our food in a moment. Is there something we can pray with you about today? And it's amazing the things that people share just by asking, can we pray for you today? I've never heard anyone say no. If they stutter and they're feeling uncomfortable and I sense that, I'll say, well, what if I just pray that you'll be blessed today? Would that be okay with you? Oh, yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be just fine. But, again, we're introducing them to a, a different way to think about even people saying a blessing can pray for someone in a restaurant. There's an openness there. I remember I was with a group some time ago in Greensboro. Um, I think one of the Southern Baptist Convention met there several years ago. And... Uh, 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 not me, but a, a guy in our group asked the waitress that and said, is there something we can pray for you about today? She was a young lady, probably 22, 24 years of age, and she got tears in her eyes. And, and we'd never seen this lady before. But she says, I've just been diagnosed with cancer, and I don't know what the future holds. You see how God arranged all of that? You see, we were his missionaries in that spot at that time. So this is not complicated engaging your community. It's not complicated. It's just really being intentional in what we do and what we see. Which brings me to the next point. Pray for eyes to see. The next step. 
pray for eyes to see. People see what they are prepared to see. People see what they are prepared to see. I was telling Corey a little while ago, uh, I drive a, a, a Nissan Frontier pickup truck. And uh, I was on a stoplight this morning in Thomasville. I live in Lexington. And there are cars everywhere. And, uh, but you know what vehicle that I noticed there at that stoplight? On the other side of the stoplight, guess what? There was another Nissan Frontier. I thought when I got the Nissan Frontier, I thought I was the only one had a Nissan Frontier. I didn't know anything about Nissan Frontier pickup trucks. But now that I have one, their Nissan Frontiers all up and down the highway. They're all over North Carolina. Because, you see, people see what they are prepared to see. And if I'm looking for people who are broken, people who are hurting, people who need prayer, people who need a Barnabas, a word of encouragement, if I look for them, that's what I will see. Our dilemma is, is that we tend to hang around people like ourselves, and I'm afraid we become insensitive to brokenness because it's just like the vehicles that I didn't notice until I had a vehicle like that particular vehicle. But people see what they are prepared to see. So I want to ask you today, are you prepared to see the broken in your neighborhood or where you work or in your community? Are you prepared to see? Now, the convention has worked long and hard on this statewide strategy of uh, identifying pockets of lostness all across the state. We've identified the top 250 pockets of lostness, and that's been very, very helpful. We're talking about areas where there is high density of unreached people, and that's what the balloons on this map represent. That's from a 30,000 feet view, though. But if we're going to fish for men in our communities, We've got to know the fish we're fishing for, do we not? You see, if I'm going to catch a fish like that one over there, I'm going to use a certain kind of bait and tackle and hook. I'm going to buy me a boat. You know, I'm going to have to fish differently. If I'm going to catch that little goldfish in that bowl, that's a totally different way to think, is it not? That's a different kind of fish to catch. So it takes different equipment to do so. So as we think about fishing for men and getting involved in, in our communities and praying for eyes to see... We need to understand and really to know the fish in our communities. We need to get to know them, which means we've got to spend time where they are. Sometimes when I speak in churches, I'll ask an opening question. I'll say, uh, you know, as we begin today, would you just think about five people who, are, who you would call good friends of yours? Just, just maybe jot their name down on the church program. And then later in the service in the sermon, I'll say, by the way, you know those five people you wrote down earlier today uh, in your program? How many of those are lost? And that's where I get the deer in the headlights look. You see, we like to surround ourselves with people like ourselves, do we not? But if I look at the life of Jesus, where was he? He was always out with people who were broken. If you want to see a miracle of Jesus, you've got to have a problem. If you want to be healed, you've got, to, you've got to be sick. He went to where people were hurting, where people were broken, and he's called us to do likewise. I think most of us see our communities like a pancake. You know, we tend to draw people to our church like ourselves. Church people reach people like themselves. Look at your church. Do you look a whole lot alike? Uh, ethnically, age-wise, people tend to reach people like themselves most easily. But I would challenge you today to think about we're really, our communities, it's more like a, a waffle than a pancake. 
And every divot in that waffle represents a little different population cluster. It might be age. It might be style of house. Uh, it might be a white collar, blue collar. Uh, it could be language groups. It could be ethnicity, different cultures. It could be a biker culture, a motorcycle culture. Every divot in your community is a little different. Most churches might reach two or three or four divots. You need to know who you're good at reaching and keep doing that. But here's the deal. In your community, these broken, hurting people in these divots that are not being reached, that's where you need to identify some missionaries in your church that have a burden for those folks to get them out to begin to minister and befriend those folks in those different divots in the waffle. A problem is we need to understand the contrast. This is really your community. It's not this. But I'm afraid most churches see their community like themselves, and it's just not the way it is. I think this is the most intriguing passage of Scripture to me. Because I believe God has prepared people already for your coming to them and the people in your church going to them. He's prepared them, but he's also been preparing you. He's preparing some of you today in this room, helping you to begin to see through perhaps different eyes because he wants you to go and minister to those people where he's already prepared their hearts. And they went through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, for, catch this, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They were forbidden to go here, here, and here, but. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but. The Spirit of Jesus said no again. He didn't allow them to go in there. God was closing doors. Why was he doing that? Well, I know why he was doing that. Because he had another plan. He had a specific plan. So passing by Mysia then, they went over to Troas and had a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. You see, God had a specific plan. Those people of Macedonia, they were prepared for Paul's coming. But what if Paul had gone into one of these other areas instead? Did they need the gospel in these other areas? Well, sure they did. But you see what God was up to? You see, he was going before us, as he still does. Your church is perfectly designed to reach the people you were already reaching. Your church is perfectly designed to reach the people you're already reaching. So if you're going to reach different people, different kinds of people, different kinds of brokenness, we're going to have to get outside our comfort zones, and we're going to have to go into new and different areas, different communities. Get to know different kind of people. We have to do it with intentionality if we're ever going to reach them with the gospel. People become that which they pray toward. Step two is pray to see the harvest. Pray to change what you see, but pray to the Lord of the harvest. People become that which they pray toward. If you get people in your church on Sunday morning having a special prayer time, say you've got somebody that works with uh, unwed mothers, and they come to the stage on a Sunday morning once a month, once a quarter, and you interview them, perhaps, or they share their testimony, and then the whole church begins to pray for those unwed mothers that are being ministered to there. And you do that regularly in your church. Do you think that church is going to develop a burden for unwed mothers? Absolutely. You see how we're changing the culture? And then the next week somebody comes up and they have a burden for alcoholics. Maybe they used to be an alcoholic when they were a young person. Or, or, or maybe even as a middle-aged adult. But they have a burden for those folks. And they've begun praying for it and reaching out to those folks and you interview them or they share a testimony and then you have the whole congregation to pray over them. Oh my goodness. 
You see, people become that which they pray toward. And when you have your congregation praying for specific needs, specific types of brokenness, particular people, oh my goodness, God does incredible, incredible things. Corey, what's the application and good illustration that you can share to help us to think about? I think I just, have, to see a, I think I just have a challenge. When's the last time you got out into your community, whether your church is surrounded by a neighborhood or the neighborhood that you live in, and you stopped and you took time to walk the grounds and look at who lives there? Uh, I planted two different churches. Uh, I planted a church in a very low socioeconomic area, and I planted a church in a, in a mid to high socioeconomic area. In the low socioeconomic area, I could take a bag of food and I could knock on the door and I could use the gospel. I could use the bag of food to start talking to the person or persons about the gospel. In the high socioeconomic, I couldn't take a bag of food. I couldn't give somebody something as a gateway to enter into a conversation about the gospel. But then in that higher socioeconomic area, I could ask for food for a need because those type of people want to give because they feel like they're contributing rather than be contributed to. But there are two different ways to enter into the area. And until you understand the area in which you are, it's going to be very hard for you to stop seeing your world like a pancake instead of the waffle. So to, like he said, pray for eyes to see. I think that we continue to have that same theme. It starts with prayer. So the challenge is, would you go back to your church, your neighborhood, your workplace, whatever it is, and begin to walk? Stop. Take a little bit more time. Don't drive. Don't drive. Because that can be too quick. You can't notice the nuances of what kind of playground. Is it a five-year-old playground or is it a 12-year-old playground? Is the playground that they have 10 years old and it looks like it's falling apart or is it brand new? Because that speaks to the type of person that lives there. So stop. Take the time. Walk around the place. See who lives there and pray and ask God, what strategy would work for my Sunday school, for my church, for me as just a disciple to reach into this neighborhood and, what did he say, reach in and pull up people? Hmm. Yeah, That's rich. Yeah. What a great illustration, Corey. That's really good. Step three, identify gospel partners. Identify gospel partners. Now, you as a church leader, you're here, you're a leader. You're a leadership influence, right? You're here because you're a person of influence in, in your church or, or your group. And I would urge you to think about the fact that as you reach out into these communities and reaching different folks, you're not alone. There are the people who, who are available and would like to come and help. They may be longing for somebody to work with them to go in a particular area. At my missional community church that I'm piloting, uh, we adopted people from Burma. Uh, people who are from Myanmar. And uh, these folks came here. Many of them, all they had was a bag, and that was it. That's all they had to their name. And our church found out their need. We began to teach them ESL. We started with a little blanket uh, out in a front of the apartment complex. And in a matter of days, that group had just grown considerably because they were eager to learn English. They were eager to learn what does it mean to live, live in America. Matter of fact, they thought all of America was like New York City. You know why? Because all the pictures that they'd ever seen of America was New York City. But these people had specific needs. Uh, some of them were, were uh, no, no religion claims. Some were Buddhist. Some were Muslim. Some of them, a few of them were Christians. But we began to teach them English as a second language. 
what we would call ESL. But let me tell you, they were just so eager to learn and grow, but they're also open to hearing our Bible stories. They hear, they were open to hearing us share the gospel. So we began to share with them. Uh, along the way, we found that the Karini speaking people of Myanmar, they didn't, uh, there was no church for them in Greensboro. So our group, what did we do? Uh, we began gathering those Karini speaking people in Greensboro over the, the PBA, Jimmy, and, and we know I began to preach every other Sunday through an interpreter to those folks. One, one Saturday alone, I baptized 13 of those Burmese folks. And every one of them was adult. I'm not talking about teenagers and children. You see, they were people who had a need. They recognized their need. We love them through through meeting their need to speak English, but it was also an opportunity to share with them the great news about Jesus. What are we doing with them today? We're teaching them citizenship classes. And they're coming and they're learning. Again, Muslims, Buddhists, and they're, they're and some Christians, but they hear that. But also, we share the gospel. We share gospel stories. That, and they're open. The overwhelming majority are open to learning about Jesus. Who are our partners who've come to help us? People from other churches heard about what we've been doing, and they volunteer to come and help teach and help work, work with the kids. We have, check this out, I know of three people who are coming to help uh, with the uh, um, English and with the citizenship. They're not Christians yet, but they're hearing the gospel, and they're learning what it's like to really follow Jesus and make an impact in the community. They're, I believe, I have faith, they're going to come to Jesus. One of them started coming to our Saturday night groups, Corey. And uh, he's a well-educated guy, very, very sharp. He's, he's evaluating the claims of Christ. But you see, he, we got him involved. We invited him to come and be a part of helping us work with the Burmese folks. And now he's coming and he's learning and, and he's growing. Very little background with the Bible whatsoever. He's from another country. Churches are gospel partners. As I've just indicated, we have other churches who will call and say, can we come and join and help you? Can we help you work with this particular uh, people group who have specific needs? Baptist State Convention is a partner who can provide assessments, or church planning assessments, training, coaching, consultation. Corey is one of those. He is, a, he is a consultant. He is a coach, and he's working with other folks to help them to know how to impact losses in their, in their communities. Baptist associations, associational networks, church planning networks, all these are, are folks who would love to be a part and come alongside you and to help you to connect with others who have the very, very same interest in impacting losses in your communities. Pastor? If you're, many of you are pastors here, you are a missionary. You are the lead missionary in your church if you're, if you're a pastor. But I have other good news for you. You see, every member in your church is a missionary. Every member of your church is a missionary. Now, that's a different way to, for us to think, is it not? We love for them to come. We love to preach and to teach. But when we change our scorecard, when we change the culture and begin to see every individual, every individual as a missionary, Oh, it changes what we do and how we do it. It changes what we celebrate. I love the campus ministry folks who who uh, are, are seeking to, to build bridges into college campuses across our state. What's so interesting to me, let's say they've got a, a, uh, a, a, a welding department in a school at a community college level. What will they do? They'll find someone maybe who knows something about welding. And they begin to hang around the welding department. They may begin to, to just, you know, at break time, build bridges with those folks. Maybe prayer walk 
the welding department. Uh, maybe they work in the welding department. Maybe they teach. Maybe they weld in, in a company where they work. So they're looking for opportunities to build bridges on those campuses because that welder, he's becoming a missionary to other welders because he understands their language. He understands their joys. He understands their challenges. You see, is utilizing that which he already has from his own experience to build a bridge in other folks. You have nurses in your, in your congregations where you, where you serve. I wonder about nurses starting a, 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 an outreach, uh, see themselves as a missionary, reaching out to other folks in the hospitals or, or doctor's offices or wherever they work. Do they see themselves as a missionary, not just as a job where they can get pay? No, more than that, but a place where they can be a missionary and represent Jesus Christ and look for those opportunities then to communicate the gospel. Every member of missionary, every member of missionary, this thing just went dead. How about that? Let's do this. Oh, we got something wrong here. Give me just a second here. I apologize. Now let's try it. Ah, the role of the pastor, according to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm a man of the book. I'm sure you are too. The role of the pastor is to equip these missionaries. It's to equip the saints for ministry. Ephesians 4. And you see, that's a, again, it's a cultural shift. The pastor is no longer just the hired hand. No, he's one who is the equipper of people to do mission work. I heard one pastor say, that uh, it was J.D. Greer. Some of you have a book there by him that's a gift. If you didn't get one, I have a few more books up here as well uh, we can give to you. Uh, he said, when, <laughs> he says, when I became a, a, a senior pastor, I left the ministry. What was he talking about? You see, he saw himself no longer as the one who does all the ministry. He saw him as the equipper of those who do ministry. His church is full of missionaries, full of missionaries today, and one of the fastest growing churches around. Corey, what's the application of that? You've had a lot of partners join you in your new church plant, yeah. and then you, you're partnering with others. A lot of us who have, my church is about 80 or 90 people right now, and I, a lot of us think that I'm, our church isn't big enough to collaborate or to send out. And uh, I had eight churches who were all under 150 people. Well, I'm sorry, six out of the eight were all under 150 people, and they pulled together, they collaborated together to help plant our church. And then the other thing I was thinking about is I hear a lot of folks say, we want to reach our city. I hear lots of church planners say, I, I, want, I want our church to reach our city. And the truth is that no one church could ever reach the entire city. And I think about Jesus. He has three greats, right? We've got the great commission, go make disciples. We've got the great commandment, right? To love, one, or love God, love people, right? But what's the third one? It's in John 17 when he says, may they be one, the great collaboration, when churches begin to start pulling together their resources, collaborating together, that's when we're going to see movement. That's when we're going to start see sending. So when you think about that waffle, your church isn't going to be able to reach every single divot in that waffle. Who can you begin to partner with? What churches can you begin to partner with and bring to be a part to that collaboration to pull together and see those gospel partners. Mm, mm, that's rich. Step four, commission your missionaries. Commission your missionaries. As you identify folks in your church uh, and, and identify what their burden is, what their heart is, some of your people may have a heart for shut-ins. Some of your people may have a heart for people who are recovering drug addicts. Some of you may, may be, uh, have a burden. Some of your people may have a burden for people who are recently separated or divorced. If you went around your entire church individually, so, you know, what's something you're really burdened about in our community? 
I'll bet every person in your church has something they're concerned about in your community. They may be surprised to find there are four or five others in, in your church that also, interestingly enough, also have a burden for that particular brokenness in your community. What about getting those people together? Getting those people together and commission them as missionaries. I mean, on a Sunday morning service, we want to commission you to go out and, and see how we can best minister to those people as a church. Again, we're not counting how many are coming. At this point, we're counting how many are, we're sending. Commission those people as missionaries to go out. And it might be every week or every month. You commission a different group of folks who you've identified and they've shared they have a burden for a particular area. Have a commissioning service. Commission those folks. Again, we're changing the culture in the church. We've been reconciled to God, and He's given to each of us the ministry of reconciliation. I would ask you, in whose life do you see God at work right now, reaching outside the walls of the church? I would urge you to jot that down on your notes there. Who do you see in your church that God is working with uh, in, in your church? They have a burden for somebody. A burden for a group of people in your community. And I want to ask you, how might you help them? How might you equip them? How might you encourage them to make the next step as a missionary? What do you need to do to help them? Just jot down two or three people that you that you see. You know what? I've noticed so-and-so when we have a prayer request time, they're always praying for people who... What kind of blank would you fill in there? Can I say something here? Absolutely. Can I tell you guys about the most powerful thing in the world? And this is in my breakout, but I think this is the most powerful thing in the world. I want you to think about that time, like you're here for a reason. There's a time when somebody looked you in the eye and they had this conversation with you. They had an I see in you conversation. They saw something in you that you did not see and they called it out. And so when I think about commissioning your missionaries and this idea, whose life do you see God working at? Like really take charge of this and really write down one person, two people and go back into your context and call it out of them and tell them, listen, I see in you, Miguel, the power of God active in your life. And I believe that God is at work in you and God is wanting more from you. What do you need to do to start walking in that? Listen, we did that in our church. We had a lady who's been attending for a year and we asked one of our ladies to step up into our ops role to run all of our Sunday morning stuff. And she was like, well, who in the world is going to become our kids? And I said, well, who's, who's fat in our church? <laughs> Faithful, available, and teachable. I'm fat, by the way, so she didn't say me. But she had an I see in you conversation with this lady, and the lady started to tear up because she knew there was something more, and she was waiting for somebody to call her out of the dugout, of the pool. I don't know, not out of the pulpit, but that's, anyway. But waiting for her, waiting for somebody to call her out. And I know that there's somebody in each one of your lives, whether you're a pastor, small group leader, church leader, worker in whatever role that you have, somebody is in your life that you have the power to say, I see in you. I swear, y'all, this is one of the most powerful tools that you can use. I see in you. And then listen, commission them. Put your hands on them. Acts, y'all, go back to the book of Acts when they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and they sent them out. And commission them, whether it's in your small group, whether it's on your Sunday morning service, whether it's in a huddle, whatever it is. Lay hands on them and say you believe in them. You can't drop them, right? You can't just foster them after that. You've got to be there with them along the way. But that's a very powerful tool. This is so powerful right here. Mm, that's rich. That's good. No, I love it, Corey. That's great. 
Step number five, then gather missional and disciple-making communities. As you reach into these different uh, divots in the waffle, as you reach into this brokenness, you begin to gather people. Maybe gather them in triads or maybe in home groups. Uh, maybe outreach Bible studies. Some folks just want to know about God. They've never, they've never learned anything about God before. Uh, in our uh, uh, missional community, our, our house church last week meets on Saturday nights. Uh, one of the guys there who's lost, he, uh, at the end of our time together, he says, you know, he says, I, I'm kind of new in reading the Bible. But he said, you know, when you all discuss this passage, we cover a chapter of the Bible a week. He says, when you all talk about this, he said, I see things here I've never seen before. You help me understand things that, that I just I didn't know. And I just want to say thank you all for helping me understand the Bible. Now, here's a guy who's 45, highly educated, works at a university, but he's lost. But he's discovering Christ, is he not? You see, he's beginning to see, beginning to understand. People are open to talk about God. They're more open to talk about God sometimes than they are to talk about church. So start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. Back up here. Uh, coffee shop Bible studies. Uh, we had a church planter, Corey, in the West. And he went to the same coffee shop every day. And he would open up his Bible and just lay it on the table there. And he would just sit and wait. And same spot every day. Same people going to coffee shop regularly, if you know what I mean. Well, eventually people began to say, what you doing? What you doing in your Bible? I see it out here a lot. Well, that just began a conversation. Who is his divot in the waffle? It's people who, who come by the coffee shop. That was his bridge to get to know people, be able to say, you know, by the way, what can I be praying for you about? You know, would you like to study the Bible together? Maybe we ought to get together every now and then and just talk about, talk about the Word. See, this is not rocket science, and it doesn't take a, a, a seminary education to do either. And then local mission teams. Local mean global and local. What's your mission work in your church? How are you impacting your community? The great test is, if my church was no longer in our community, would the community miss us? I'm not talking about church people. I'm talking about people who are unreached. If my church were no longer in our community, would the unreached in our community miss us? I hope you say, oh, absolutely they would. Because we're doing so many different things to impact our community. Love them in the name of Jesus. Look for those bridges to verbally share the gospel. So it's global mission teams, but it's also mission teams down the street. We had an event some time ago, I uh, thought about uh, this morning, I guess, Corey. It was down in Lumberton, and we had a retreat down there. And uh, my assignment was to go to a place that were dealt with uh, 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 unwed mothers, troubled mothers, uh, young adult ladies for the most part. So there were maybe five on our team who went there to work with those folks to teach them. And a part of that was to share the, the gospel with them, share the plan of salvation with them. Now here was a group of about, I don't know, maybe eight or ten ladies. And when I shared the gospel with those folks, it was amazing. I said, how many of you would like to say, you know, I'm broken. I really would like to know what it's like and to follow Jesus. And three of those ladies right there in that one group, first time together with them, gave their heart to Jesus Christ right then. And I was able to pass their information along to, to a local church. Now here's the deal. That's a place of brokenness in need of love, in need of support, in need of encouragement. You see how easy it is 
to go in there and minister to those folks. They, they, they're hungry for love. They're hungry for support and somebody helping them to figure out what God's purpose is for them in life. It's global, it's local. Missional and disciple-making communities become new churches in seed form. As you gather these different groups, whether that be language groups, whether that be motorcycle riders, whether that people in a, in a, a home for unread, uh, a community for unwed mothers, whether it be a, a people group at work, whether it be a group in a community college, whatever it is, as you minister to those folks, begin to form a triad. And then begin to have six or seven. Just keep gathering and ask them. If, if you're a welder and you're focused on reaching welders of the community college, ask the welders that you built a bridge with, who are some other welders you know that might want to come and, and hang out with us? Maybe study the Bible together. Maybe, a, you know, just a, a Bible story a week or something. Ask them. They will know other welders, will they not? See, see the flow? It's not about y'all come. It's about go. It's about go. Effective discipleship is not about curriculum. For many years, I thought that. I was wrong. It's about one person learning from another person what it looks like to follow Jesus. See, there are people who are watching you. There are people who are learning from you what it's like to follow Jesus. And that includes going. That includes going into communities where people are broken and where people are hurting. So I would ask you in conclusion... What are you celebrating in your church? What are you celebrating? Corey, help us land this airplane. I was just thinking about how this kind of goes full circle. I asked Mark the question when we were talking about leading this series. I asked him the question, how do we give them a hook? Because I feel like a lot of us, if we're in this thing, we're looking for ways to grow our church. We're looking for ways to see new disciples made, new uh, people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I believe like what it starts with is our scorecard. God giving us eyes to see how do we have gospel partners? How do we begin to put our hands on people and commission them? And then when we see that, I think people are looking for purpose in our churches. I think people are looking for more than just a place to come and sit and sing a song and hear a good message. I think people are looking for somewhere that they can really get dirty, really get their hands dirty. And if we start commissioning them, start sending them, our churches will grow, our budgets will grow, baptisms will grow, all those things. But it really starts with our mental capacity with changing how we do ministry to come and see, to go and tell. Mm, that's rich. Thank you for being here today. Let me pray with you before we go. Father, thank you for this group. And thank you for the privilege you give all of us to learn and to grow. I do pray you would give us all fresh eyes to see. And Father, give us a holy boldness to move forward with intentionality, recognizing that you're preparing people for our coming and you're guiding us to go for that divine appointment. So Father, thank you for all of these leaders here. Just continue to grow their influence in a great and wonderful way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.